I remember the very first time that I saw a uh, prostitute working the street. Um, I was driving down North Avenue in Chicago on my way to work. I was a student at Moody Bible Institute, and I went to school all morning. I got out of classes around 12, 12.30, and I would drive up through Cabrini Green, which was a, a housing project that they had there, 36, 3,700 apartments. It was a, a disaster. Um, I drive through there up to North Avenue and then hit an industrial area and drive along down North Avenue heading towards Sippy Metals. That's where I worked as a millwright when I was in, in uh, school. Um, as I was driving through that industrial area, I noticed a woman who um, didn't seem to be didn't seem to be uh, dressed for the area I was in. I was going to say she didn't seem to be uh, dressed for work, but she was dressed for the work she was doing. Uh, and you know, she she looked very out of place to me. Caught my attention. She positioned herself on a corner, right by a parked car. Uh, in fact, she was almost out into the street. And I remember the first time I was going by there, and it got my attention. And as I was passing her, I looked over, and she made eye contact with me. And when she did, she beckoned me. And I noticed that there were a few other women on on the corner there as well. Now, you know, she was very, they, you know, they're very close to being out in traffic. Um, yeah, and it was, you know, at that point, um, it was an easy decision for me simply to shake my head and keep driving and uh, go, you know, go on to work. But it was obviously obvious enough that enough men responded to make it worth their time to be out there on that corner. And they were out there pretty much every day. As I drove to work, I, I, I worked five days a week, Monday through Friday, and they were out there, rain or shine, warm or cold, and they were out there on that corner. Now, right now, some of you are wondering what in the world did he even bring this up for, you know, uh, particularly on a Sunday and in church. Um, turn to Proverbs chapter 7 with me, and I think you will find out uh, why I brought this up. Proverbs chapter 7, page 580 in the Pew Bible. And uh, remember, it, it, through this whole series, I am simply sharing with you some some areas that God shined a light on for me as I was reading, as I was doing, you know, reading my own reading in the mornings. I, at that time, I wasn't I wasn't looking for sermons or sermon series. It's just some of the reading I was doing in the morning. And uh, God just kind of shined a light on some areas that I wasn't exactly expecting. And this happens to be one of them. Proverbs chapter 7, drop down to verse 6. It says, At the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice. I saw among the inexperienced, I noticed among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Crossing the street near her corner, he strolled down the road to her house at twilight, in the evening, in the dark of night. A woman came to meet him dressed like a prostitute, having a hidden agenda. She is loud and defiant. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, she lurks at every corner. She grabs him and kisses him. She brazenly says to him, I've made fellowship offerings. Today I have fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you and to search for you, and I've found you. 
I've spread coverings on my bed, richly colored linen from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of lovemaking until morning. Let's feast on each other's love. My husband isn't home. He went on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him and will come home at the time of the full moon. She seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures with her flattering talk. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into the snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. Now, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray onto her paths, for she has brought down many to death. Her victims are countless Her house is the road to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Let's pray, and we're going to get into this passage. Father, temptation is out there, and it's always certainly available. What we need is your wisdom. What we need is is your direction, your strength. Because sometimes we, we have your direction, we just... Act foolishly. I thank you for your word and the things it teaches us. Don't let us overlook it. Don't let us ignore it. Don't let us think it's not me. Help us to learn from you and your word. This morning as we look, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we start, I I feel it's important to warn you, don't dismiss the clear message of this passage. And that is, you know, sexual sin is dangerous and destructive to your soul. Don't miss that message. That is very clear in here. Sexual sin is very dangerous and it is destructive to your soul. It is out to to bring you down. That's what, the whole nature of sin. Now, I looked at this passage, and as I was reading it, I, I thought to myself, this just wouldn't be a problem for me. You know, this this just wouldn't be a problem for me. And then as I was reading and, and I was looking, you know, God shined a light and reminded me, uh, don't get your guard down. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful. Be careful so that you don't fall. You see, because the thing is, when we think we can handle it, then what we do is we let our guard down. When we think we can handle things, you know, now here we're talking about any type of sin. When you think you can handle it, when you think this isn't a problem, and then you let your guard down. God's warning to Cain is true for us today as well. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. It desires to have you. Sin is waiting. You don't have to go looking for it. It's there. It's there. And we need to heed the warnings. First Peter, we mentioned this uh, in our Sunday school class this morning. Dean uh, mentioned this. Be serious. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can 
devour. Anyone he can devour. I don't know if you saw on the news um, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, um, this family was out camping. And a wolf came into their tent while they were sleeping and to, to attack this family. And the story, you know, well, it made the news because a wolf came into their tent and was going to attack the family. Uh, but one of the things that happened is the father threw himself over his family to protect them, you know, and, and to do what he could. And he was, you know, he was injured. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, the doctor says, you know, a little discomfort. That means pain. That's just medical talk for pain. So this guy was injured, you know, medical talk for, uh, you know, the wolf got him, you know, didn't kill him. But uh, so, you know, it's the wolf was there looking to devour them. Here's a picture for you. You know, that, that, that the enemy, your adversary, the devil, goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone he can devour. As we look at this passage, there's a very clear warning not to visit a prostitute. But I think there's also a broader application for us here. Directions to help us stand firm with God. Directions to help us when we get to that corner, you know, and there's a decision to make. And there's directions here. Now, again, let me be very clear. Sexual sin is very real and it is very dangerous to your soul. You understand, it's dangerous to your soul. Today I want to share with you six other areas that I saw here as God was unfolding this for me in this passage where God is telling us to be alert, alert so we don't fall. Uh, now they certainly apply to avoiding sexual sin, but I think they also give us guidance on avoiding other types of sin also. The first one seems very obvious, and that's that we need to be aware of temptation. You know, we need to be aware of temptation. Too many people underestimate temptation and overestimate their resistance this is what we too often do we we underestimate temptation and we overestimate our resistance winter's coming and every winter when i talk about things like this i'm just reminded again of of uh, um you know, you get your driver's license, and I got my driver's license on my 16th birthday. In fact, the guy handed it to me, smiled, and said, happy birthday. Uh, you know, so, that, you know, and, uh, you know, winter, what a fun time, particularly in the good old days when cars were rear-wheel drive. Um, those of you who've only had front-wheel drive cars just don't know the thrill of rear-wheel drive on a snowy day. It's a wonderful thing when you're 16 years old. It's just great. I was going down the road next to Dalton Park means nothing to you except it's a big park. And there was this long road on the side of it. And it was a, had been a snowy winter and they had the snow plowed up. And it was, you know, I mean, like I'm looking out the car window and it's right about level where they plowed it up. And being 16, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I just kind of scraped that snow and you know, and throw all of this snow behind me and stuff. Well, what a what a blast! You know, so here I am with my 1967 Ford Galaxy 500, and I'm driving down the road, and I move over and scrape that snow a little bit, and you know, all the experience of a 16-year-old driver. And some of you know what happened. All of a sudden, it just sucked me right in there. You know, I mean, it was before I knew it. It was I, I, the snowbank and I are one. You know. 
neither one of us moving either. Uh, you know, we underestimate temptation when we think we can flirt and get as close to it as we can. But we're going to be strong enough and we'll be able to resist. And we get sucked right in. Because temptation is out to destroy you. It's not out to make you feel better. It is, it is out to destroy you. You know, be aware of temptation. Don't underestimate temptation. Don't overestimate your resistance. You are not immune to temptation. You aren't. There may be some areas that you're not tempted in, some things that just don't appeal to you. But trust me, there's plenty that do. You have enough areas that do appeal to you. You know, and, and also understand temptation itself is not sin. Jesus was tempted. If Jesus was, was tempted, what in the world makes you think you're not going to be tempted? Jesus was tempted. Temptation, the temptation is not sin. The temptation is not sin. Temptation is simply something that appeals to you and is contrary to God and contrary to a life committed to God. Look at verse 7. Crossing the street <coughs> near her corner. Okay, let me tell you the obvious. A corner is where two ways meet and you make a choice of which way you're going to go. This happens in life for us. It's a point of decision. You know, and sometimes we're just going along minding our own business and there's, you know, there's, there's that temptation over there on that side. Just come on. You know, just come on. And it's a point of decision. You know, and you're going to make the choice either to follow God and, or, or follow your lusts, which will pull you away from God quicker than you ever thought. Which will just pull you right away. You may be tempted, but you need to realize you make the choice. And you are responsible for the choices you make. You are responsible for those choices you make. In the garden, Adam blamed Eve for tempting him. Eve blamed the serpent for, tempt, for tempting her. God held each one of them accountable. Adam, Eve, and the serpent all had to answer for their own. They were responsible for their own choices. You are responsible for your choices. When you get to a corner, when you get to a place where opportunity for choice presents itself, follow God. Don't deviate. Don't follow temptation. Timothy gives us, Paul gives good advice to Timothy as he's writing. He says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee those, flee those things that are going to pull you away. Flee those things, you know, that, that were there. You know, you know, now when I see a snowbank, do you think that I skim the car alongside of it? I mean, for pity's sake, I, you know, I realize, you know, more what it can do. I hope you have learned from the foolish choices you've made before and avoid them. You don't repeat them. You don't, you don't go right back there again. Flee those youthful passions. Don't overestimate your resistance. Flee and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The fellowship together, you know, helps us and strengthens us. You know, when you're aware of temptation, flee from it. Make a decisive action, you know, to get away from it. Intentional, 
purposeful action to get away from it. Don't get close thinking you can handle it. Temptation is designed to pull you in. It is designed to destroy your walk with God and pull you away from him. Another area in verses 10 through 12. Be aware of people who are proud of sin. People who are proud of sin. Look at how these people are are described. This woman is described as loud and defiant. Some people wear depravity as a badge of honor. You know, actions and lifestyles that used to bring dishonor and shame are now boasted about as progressive and as enlightened. And those of us who want to hold to the word of God are seen as, as out of touch. Matthew told us in Matthew, or Matthew, Jesus told us in Matthew 6, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? If you swap out the world's standards and the world's, the world's wisdom, if you swap those out for what God has told us, you are embracing darkness. Now, just so we're real clear, Everything that the world says isn't necessarily wrong. But I can tell you this for sure. Everything that God says is right. And when the two are in disagreement, there's no question as to which you should follow. And it's not what's popular. And it's not what's, it's what God says. Don't be confused on that at all. You know, don't be confused. If that light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? If what you think you are pursuing, you know, is okay, and then you you come to the place where you realize, no, it's not, that's a good spot to be. But when you don't come to that place, and you think you're doing well, and God shows you, and you continue to ignore him, you're in trouble. Verse 10, look at verse 10 in, in Proverbs 7 there. It says that they have a hidden agenda. It's translated various ways. Uh, you know, some say they're wily of heart, cunning of heart. They come with crafty intent. You know, those who are, who are pursuing sin, what they're doing oftentimes is they're looking for companions. Why? Because companions make us feel better about what we're doing. Where everybody knows your name. Because companions make it seem okay. Jeff's going to do this with me. We're good, buddy. Yeah, we're good. See, we look for companions. Sin looks for companions to make them see, make it seem, you know, like it, like it's okay to what they're doing, like it's acceptable. Beware of people who are proud of their sin. Do not join in the, in sin with them. Don't encourage them in their sin. Don't pretend like the sin doesn't matter. A third caution, beware of the quasi-religious or the pretenders. Verse 14, it's a claim to have fulfilled religious requirement before God. In verse 14, it says, I made a fellowship offering today. I fulfilled my vows, you know, so come, you know, together. They made this this fellowship offering, you know, they made that, and then they have this, you know, and, and part of that, what results from that is the meat then that they would get and have to eat. And so, you know, inviting this guy over, come, you know, celebrate with me in this. I've, I've fulfilled my vows Think of how this is coming. This is coming from a woman who is trying to, a woman, a married woman whose husband is gone and trying to seduce this man. And she says, I, you know, I've made my fellowship offer. I've fulfilled my vows. 
You know some people who use religion as an excuse to pursue sin under the pretense of righteousness, under the pretense of being God's person. We do that sometimes. You see, we do that when we pronounce truth without love because Scripture is pretty clear. Speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way unto him who is the head. When we speak the truth, you know, and, and don't worry, you know, and love is not present, what we're doing is violating what God says. What we're doing is sinning. What we're doing is making up our own standard of righteousness. He says, speak the truth in love. Or when we do good things, but we do good things to get noticed or for the wrong motivation. James says, you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. With wrong motives. You just so that you might spend it on your own evil desires. What we, what we're asking God is really selfish and it's just selfish and self-centered and serves us and not God. It doesn't bring honor to God. It brings, it brings, you know, the things to us and this, and this is what, this is what we want. Beware of pretenders. Only the outwardly religious. Beware of those. Again, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. What do we talk about at communion? It's a stand. We're making a stand for we're making a statement. I said, don't make a statement here that you don't make when you're not here. And he's telling us right here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the only the one who does, only one who lives out the will of my Father. He goes on. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons Didn't in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we do all of these religious things? And I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Let me remind you, it is not about a religion. It's about a relationship. It is never about religion. It's about relationship. It is not about doing religious things. It's about a relationship with Christ. And when you have a relationship with Christ, you know what? Those, those right things begin to flow from your life. But when you're focused on the religious things, and then you miss it. In religion, we do a few things that have an appearance of good, and then we walk away and do whatever we want to in the moment. We just walk away and do whatever we want. Religion is an excuse or a salve that we sometimes use to pursue sin under the pretense of being right with God. They make excuse for their sinful behavior. But in a relationship, everything we do is guided and influenced by the one we're in a relationship with. Ideally by our connection with Christ. I've used this illustration before because it's in, it's in the Bible. You know, it talks about it, 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 the uh, illustration that's used is the relationship between Christ and the church as between a husband and a wife. What I do as I go through my day is influenced by my commitment to Ginny. It's influenced by her. Even though she's not right there with me, everything I do is influenced by my commitment to her. Makes it easy to drive by a prostitute, you know, and go like this because you know what? I'm committed to this woman. It made it easier. See, I can't, I can't use this now because you guys will think what? It made it easier to get up, you know, and go to work, you know, at that foundry or at the at the tool shop that I worked at because I was committed to this woman here, and I wanted to be able to provide for her. 
the relationship influences everything I do. This is the picture. You know, this is the picture here. It, when we're in that relationship with Christ, it, we're guided and influenced by everything we do. We're not simply looking to fulfill an obligation so that we can get on with our plans. You know, let me, let me read this passage in Scripture so I can get on with my day. You know, let me go to a church so I can get on with my week. We're looking to have our behavior guided and modified by God so that it's in line with his character. Beware of pretenders. Well, then the next thing that I saw flown out of here is being, be aware of being seduced. Seduction is powerful, but it comes across as subtle. It comes across very subtly. We had a friend who uh, had a co-worker who was, going to go, who was having marital problems. And so he's going to help her, you know, and the intent was, you know, to be able to help, encourage, maybe even give godly advice. But through their conversations over the month, little by little, and I still remember the day Jeannie and I got the phone call that he was leaving his wife and his two kids. And this other woman left her husband so that they could be together. And I'll tell you, it was only for a while because they're not together anymore. And to my knowledge, he still is not walking with Christ again. And this is a guy who had, a, who had an influence and an impact on me coming to Christ. Little by little. Little by little. You're seduced. That's, that's the picture here of seduction. Small step by small step. My buddy left his wife and his two kids. Small step by small step, we fall into sin. Don't take that turn. Don't be led by sensuality, whether it's you know toward another person or whether it's toward a thing. Don't be led by sensuality. Be led by God. We are often very naive about the advances made by the opposite sex. Um, you know, Marcy was with me one time when we went to YWCA and um, she came to run with me in the morning. And we go in and there was a young lady there and we talked. You know, I mean, it's what you do. She ran the front desk and we talked a little bit. We turned and walked away and Marcy said, Dad, that lady was hitting on you. We were just talking. My daughter's more than once telling us, telling me about, you know, this conversation with this guy. And I said, he thinks that was a date. No, he doesn't. I said, yes, he does. He thinks it was a date. Now, every, every guy in here knows what I'm talking about. He thought that was a date. No, no, he doesn't, Dad. A few weeks later, I got a call from Mandy, Dad. She said, you were right. That guy called me up and he said that we should stop seeing each other. I didn't know we were seeing each other. I said, I'm just telling you. Okay, here's the deal. Men, when your wife tells you to watch out for that woman, watch out for that woman. Women, when your husband tells you to stay away from that guy and watch out for that guy, 
watch out for that guy. Because we don't, it's subtle and we don't even pick up on these things. Now, okay, let's be real honest. Sometimes we're not naive. Sometimes we're not naive at all. Sometimes we're flattered. We're flattered. And somebody would talk to me like that? <laughs> and we fall into that trap thinking we can handle this. And we make some comments we never should make. Say some things we never should say. Hear some things that never should be said. But we're flattered. Flee youthful lust. Put distance between you and them. If you're in a rough spot you know, in your marriage, it is particularly dangerous. But even if you're in a good spot in your marriage, it is dangerous. And someday... Those of you who are married and those of you who get, are going to get married, you really need to realize and you need to grab a hold of the fact that one day you are going to come across someone of the opposite sex. Well, even in this day, maybe the same sex, but you're going to run across someone and you're going to realize, ooh, we could hit it off. We could hit it off. Put distance between you and them. I don't meet with any female without Ginny knowing that I am meeting with this person. In my office, anywhere else, when I, when I was running at the Y, there were a few ladies that ran with us. Ginny's met every single one of them. Don't be foolish. Don't. It is subtle. It is subtle. Walk away from that temptation. Don't be seduced. Don't be led by sensuality. Be led by God. We need to move along. The next area. Be aware of the choices you make. Look at verse twenty-four. You know, it, it begins to. You know, it begins to. Um, Take a good turn here. Now, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Pay attention to God's word. More, that's more than just a passing glance at the Bible. You ever sit there and read the Bible and then halfway through you're wondering, what did I just read? That's because what we're doing is this religious thing. We're doing this religious thing. Start reading, you know, start reading and, and pay attention to what you're reading. You know, pay attention to God's word. We're not fulfilling a religious duty. We're pursuing this relationship and we're pursuing a relationship with God. Not simply doing a religious thing. You need to get into the word of God. You need to do that. Find a time that works for you. For me, I do it first thing in the morning. That's what works for me. If I wait, it, it, you know, it just seems to never happen. For me, that's when it, that's when it needs to happen. And that's when it does. I get up. I sit in my chair. All right, I go to the bathroom first. I'm, I'm, I'm old. And I sit in my chair, and I got the Bible, and I read it, and I read it. Here, here's what I've been doing, and because this is what helps me pay attention. I read it with a pen in my hand and a notebook in my lap. And then as I'm reading something, and, you know, God just give me a, a, a little tap, I'm reading it expecting that I'm going to write something down. 
And whatever verse it is, I write that verse down and my prayer responds to it. That's just something that helps me. I've been doing that for years now. It's just it's something that helps me. And I also write down at least three things that I'm thankful for from the previous day. At least three things. And it helps me keep my attention to God. Find something that's going to work for you. It's not just, it's not just a, a religious thing. Verse 25. Don't turn away from the, don't turn away from God when you hit that corner. Don't turn away from Him. Keep pursuing God. Don't stray to another path. It says, you know, stray. You stray when you don't pay attention. You stray when your gaze is diverted. Okay. We've all heard, you know, don't text and drive. And because when you're looking at your phone, then what happens? You stray with your car. And you're over the center, you're over the... There was a a clip on uh, the news a few weeks ago. It was a dash cam video from a police car. He's driving behind... It was a woman, but he's driving behind this lady on the road. And they're going along, and you know, there's traffic, and all of a sudden, this lady just kind of veers off the road, hits and snaps off a telephone pole, and her car goes tumbling along. She was doing something with her phone. We stray when our attention gets diverted off of what it is we should be doing. We stray when we get, let our attention get pulled away from God in all things. You know, when God isn't there right before us. That's one of the reasons I get into his word every day. Because it's too easy to stray. You know, it matters. It matters what you look at. Got it? And online now, it is too easy to be looking at things you should never be looking at. Because it will pull you away. It will cause you to stray. And don't look at those things. Don't look at those things. If you can't control it, get rid of your phone. Get rid of your computer. Oh, you can't do that, Pastor. You're being unrealistic. Hell is real. It talks about Sheol here. Here's your choice. Follow God or go to hell. My goodness. If you can't control it, get rid of it. Don't let it control you. It matters what you look at online. It matters what you look at when you're reading a book. It matters what you look at when you're watching TV. It matters. It matters. It matters. Don't be... You stray because your attention is drawn to something else. And it pulls you away. Look at verse 26 and 27. The temptation is out to drag you away and to bring you to hell. That's what it says. Now we need to very quickly jump back and look at the verses that we skipped when we started this. Verses 1 through 5. These these verses, these are the verses that preceded the warnings we just looked at. Verse 1, follow along. My son, obey my words. Treasure my commands. Keep my commands and live. Protect my teachings as the pupil of your eye. Tie them to your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your relative. She will keep you from a forbidden woman, a stranger, with her flattering talk. This is where it all starts. Be aware 
of the importance of God's word in your life. This picture here, you know, to, to protect it, you know, um, keep my commands live, protect the, the, my teachings like the pupil of your eye. You, <laughs> you see something heading for your eye, you always take evasive action. Always. You know, that's a, a, isn't it fun you go to the eye doctor and you sit there, put your chin right here. There's going to be a puff of air. Man! Come on! And, and we're all waiting and waiting and waiting. Poof! You know. Don't hit me with that puff of air. We don't even want this puff of air to hit. Yeah, protect it like the... Pu- Put a real high importance on this thing. A real high importance. I was power washing the driveway yesterday. I had something covering my eyes because junk flies. Junk, it, it flies. It goes, you know, it's... It, Protect God's word that same way. Would you see? Would you see it heading for? It, it, it's it's danger. It's coming. You know, it's coming. And you protect it. He says you protect it that same way. Look at the verse says to treasure His word. The very first verse, my son, obey my words. Treasure, treasure my commands. That word means to hide. To store up. In some instances, it even means to hoard. What it's telling us is, you know, it's personally giving it importance and high value. Those things you treasure, you give importance and high value to. He says, give high value. Give high value to my commands. Not just to have them, but as verse 2 makes clear, in order to keep them, in order to live them, in order to be guided by them, in order, order to be directed by God's word. Obey his words. Value his commands. Keep them. Find them. Live. Find out when you keep them, you find out what life really is. I have never regretted following God's word. You've heard me say this. It's true. I have never regretted following God's word. Never. Again, it's not always easy. It's not always what we would classify as fun. But you know what? Not following it is less fun. I have never, ever regretted following his word. Keep them in front of you, it says. Look at his word. Read it often. Not as a religious duty. You know, not as, as a religious duty, but as what? Discovering more treasure. Gaining more guidance for living. Deepening your relationship with God. Then when you come to a corner, then when you come to the corner and temptation is beckoning you, and temptation is just subtly calling to you. When you have his word, you'll be better able to shake your head and continue following God. Know his word. Treasure his word. Live his word. Let's pray.